The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, this is uh, along the lines of some of the preaching I've been doing at home here recently from the book of Matthew. I'd like to preach about Barabbas tonight in a way of beginning. Uh, if you had to title this message, it would probably be Roaring Voices, Roaring Voices. So we go to Matthew chapter 27, and uh, as you know, Jesus Christ, the very uh, shadow of the cross of Calvary is lingering overhead. Uh, he sees uh, his end coming. He came for that end, and nothing took him by surprise. And here he's been taken prisoner, been run through a kangaroo court. And now Pontius Pilate, such as the custom was, that they would release a prisoner unto them, at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the time of the Passover, and at the inception of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And here we are in Jerusalem, and they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, now the them here are the Jewish leaders, uh, said unto them, whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. We know Jesus didn't do anything wrong, even Pontius. That old fox himself, he didn't, he didn't even see where Jesus Christ had done anything wrong. Uh, but he was still willing to appease the Jews for political purposes. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude. Don't ever forget how dumb the multitude can be, kids. Amen. Okay? We do not live by majority rule. Amen. We live by the Lord rule. Amen. And don't ever forget that because you're going to face a lot of trials, temptations, and, and, and just persecutions, laughter, uh, ridicule in this life. Go ahead and buckle up. If you haven't faced it yet, you will face it if you dare stand for Jesus Christ. Amen. This world is daring you to stand for Jesus Christ. And you're going to be in the minority. We're practically in the minority now. But you know what? We are where we are. We stand where we stand. We don't recant. And we don't give up. We stand for the Lord. So here they persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. It's amazing how just a few little people with a little bit of esteem among people can sow such a dreadful fire among the multitude. I mean, here just some days earlier, they were singing adulations and praises and singing Hosanna unto the Lord, and now here they are, they're going to say something completely different. The governor answered, and uh, said, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, so now here he is, as I see, uh, he's there before the multitude. He's there before the crowds. And my friends, in Jerusalem during the Passover and the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was the most crowded time that Jerusalem would ever see. This was a city that at its normal day was uh, very, very populated. But we're talking about in the Passover, it was just teeming with people uh, who had come in to observe the feast, who had come in uh, to come and to make sacrifice at the temple. And so we're just talking about vast throngs of people here. And Pontius Pilate, who was the governor at that time, stood before them, uh, before the multitude, and, and asked, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? 
Now, as we, we read this, I grew up in the Ben-Hur and, uh, you know, that type of movie age. And uh, in, in some of these movies you see regarding Barabbas, uh, which, by the way, means son of God, okay, Bar-Abbas, uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ told Simon Peter, uh, he said, uh, he, he said, blessed art thou Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, my father, which is in heaven. He means Simon, Simon, you're the son of Jonah. Well, here, this is a man named Bar-Abbas, and Abbas means father, okay? So here you have one whose name itself means son of God, all right? Well, who was this Barabbas? Barabbas, he was a mess. He was an insurrectionist and he was a murderer, according to the report of scriptures, okay? And this just goes to show you how far out of the way a government will go to leave its own morals and principles just to keep the people appeased. Because here he was an insurrectionist against the Roman government and here the Roman governor is willing to just release him so just so he can keep the people calmed down. And that's what governments love to do. They love to just kind of keep you just calm enough uh, so they can kind of have their way with you. Now, I'm not up here to preach politics. That's just the way it is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of darkness in this world. Okay, so that's just an example of what governments are willing to do. They just want to keep the people quiet and appeased. Well, um, they were willing to release this man. And so this man, the son of God, and uh, when you looked in the movies, you saw that Jesus was on one side and Barabbas was on the other, up there on the stage with Pontius Pilate. But if, as I did a review of the Gospels for this, I didn't see any indication that that was actually the case. It seems to me to make more sense that these men were locked up in a hole somewhere, okay? Probably not too far away, but locked up away from the population because these were prisoners. And it just seems to me that it was Pontius Pilate up there before the people. And here he's asking them these questions. Now imagine, if you will, like Brother Michael Gowen says, use your sanctified imagination, okay? Uh, that Jesus is in a cell, Barabbas is in a cell, okay? Maybe they're somewhat close by, we don't absolutely know. But I do not believe from reading any of the context, I should not assume, I don't think, that they're right there on the stage with Pontius Pilate. Now, imagine this transaction right here. Uh, the governor answered and said unto them, Now Pontius, who is one single voice, is asking the crowd, which is thousands of voices, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, and you could imagine with the fervor they'd been stirred into, they screamed, Barabbas! Now, I don't think Barabbas down in his hole heard the question that Pontius asked, but I think what he did hear was thousands upon thousands of angry, stirred up, emotional voices screaming, Barabbas! And you know, that I don't imagine that made him feel very comfortable, do you? I don't think that really eased him uh, very much. I don't think it's easy to simmer down when you hear all of those angry, excited voices screaming, Barabbas. I would imagine that's probably all he heard. Pilate saith unto them, again, just one voice. I don't believe they heard the voice of Pilate. Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And what's the next thing Barabbas would probably have heard? The same angry, emotional voices saying, Let him be crucified! So imagine if you're Barabbas. 
You're sitting back there, and first you hear, Barabbas! And you're like, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. And then you hear, let him be crucified! Now, you know Barabbas is tore up now. His nerves are shot by this time because he realizes he's condemned, and he realizes what's coming. It's the cross. And if he'll be honest with himself, he deserved the cross. He's an insurrectionist and a murderer. That's the kind of people they hung upon a cursed tree of a cross. But it was that same tree of a cross that your Lord and Savior hung upon for you. You are the Barabbas, okay? Barabbas, and this, you know, he heard all those screaming voices. And then Pontius condemned Jesus Christ and released Barabbas. But you see, Barabbas didn't know that. All Barabbas knew, heard was, Barabbas, let him be crucified. And you know when he heard those Roman soldiers walking down, clinking those keys or whatever the case may be, to come let him, know, let him go, you got to understand, I bet you he was assuming just the opposite. He said, there's no way they're going to release me. There's no way they're going to have me. I am a no good bushwhacking sinner and I know that compared to me and Jesus Christ, they're not going to crucify Jesus Christ. They're going to crucify me. So he knew he was condemned. But you know what? They came and locked that door and set him free. Now, there are a lot of roaring voices that day. But I want to look at that and what the Bible teaches us about loud, roaring voices that make accusation against us. Okay? Uh, one place I want you to go is Psalm 42 with me. Go over and the Psalm says quite a bit. You know, in the, in the Word of God, it often speaks of roaring voices. It either calls them voices or sometimes it'll speak of uh, roaring waters or a uh, uh, multitude of mighty waters or, the, the, uh, you know, it, just a, the loud cacophony of a, a loud torrent that just kind of deafens you and overwhelms you. And we go over to Psalm 42, and we're going to look at one of these, some of these roaring voices that speak against us. You go to Psalm 42, and I want you to look at verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Now if you read this, it begins, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. He's thirsty for God, he feels at a distance from God, and he's under conviction. This is a man who feels his weight of sin. And he says, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep. What's the picture you see there? Roaring waters. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. What's this loud, roaring voices that this person hears? Have you ever heard it? Have you ever felt to be at a distance with your God? Have you ever felt to be condemned over somebody you've talked about, something you said or something you did? Kindred, we all have. I'd venture to say anyone who's had a, child, had a work of grace in their hearts has felt that inner voice, that inner conscience screaming at them at times, why did you do such a thing? Do you know you didn't just do it against that person? You did it against your God. Do you know who you're supposed to be? Have you ever felt that in your conscience? Well, the unborn again man doesn't feel that in his conscience. He doesn't hear that in his conscience. He might say, you dummy, you almost got caught. Or do you realize how close you are to being embarrassed? But he'll never stop and say, I have sinned against my God. 
But my friends, that's a roaring voice in all of our consciences we hear from time to time, is it not? Let's look at another. Go with me to Psalm 55. Over in Psalm 55, we're going to look at a different type of voice. We're going to look at the voice of others. In Psalm 55, verse 1, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me. This is Psalm 55, 2. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Salah. Others will roar against you. And I'm amazed sometimes that, uh, Brother John Morgan, you're exercising. Uh, if I'm overlooking somebody else in here that is, uh, Brother Chris may have experienced this in the past, Brother Buddy. But you know, you feel a fire for the Lord, and you want to do what's right. And you'll be amazed at the voices that will rise up against you. Sometimes it'll be your own kinfolk. Sometimes it'll be some of the dearest friends you've ever had. Sometimes it might even be your wife. Sometimes it might even be your children. But you better believe one thing, Kindred. Buckle up because they will roar. Because whether they mean to or not, Satan, that supernatural demon, is willing to stir people to do things that they would never dream of doing. Do you think Simon Peter in his right mind, if he would stop and look at things scripturally and from a scriptural worldview, would have ever taken hands and laid upon Jesus Christ and said, let it not be so, Lord. You're not going to die. This is not going to happen. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, I imagine if Peter hadn't been stirred and being used as a vessel of Satan at that time, he wouldn't have thought so either. You see... We can all make some dreadful, dreadful mistakes. And whether we mean to or not, we can be very discouraging of other people who are just trying the best they can to stay topwater in this deluge of sin around us each and every day. Don't be the discourager. Don't listen to the discouragers. Don't be the discourager because they will be there. They will be there and they will be people that you... Look, I had an uncle. He's going to be with the Lord now. But I had an uncle that loved me like I thought no uncle could love somebody until I started speaking publicly. And then he became bitter and very critical of me. Even so that people would come to me and said, what have you done to him? I said, I haven't done anything to him. To this day, I don't really know what the cause was, but I wasn't expecting it. And I'm telling you, it was discouraging to someone just starting off. I remember one time, Thereafter, Melvin, Elder Melvin Myers, my father in the ministry, and he'd pastored the church that I grew up in 52 years. And, uh, and Brother Melvin Myers had died, and we were standing there in the fellowship hall. I just tried to help preach his funeral. I was anxious. There was a large congregation looking at me, who was the pastor, the only pastor, freshly ordained, the only one living in the area that was going to be there every Sunday and every Wednesday night. And here I am. I was not the only pastor, but I was the local pastor. And it was a very anxiety-provoking situation. 
And he came up to me and he said, without Melvin Myers, this church is dead. Can you imagine? Isn't that encouraging? Well, the Lord gave me an answer. I told him, Unc, if this church dies because Brother Melvin died, then this church needs to die. A church is built on a man and nothing but trouble. It's a trembling cup. It's a hot mess. But if you're built upon Jesus Christ, your faith should be in Jesus Christ and not on some man or even a group of men. I want to invoke confidence in you. I want to be someone you can count on. But you know what I am? I am a man. I am a sinner. And I'll tell you, I need your encouragement and you need mine. So let's always remember that. Those roaring voices are out there. Go me, uh, well, I'm not even going to go there. There's another roaring voice we hear quite frequently. We alluded to him earlier. Over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, what does he call Satan? A roaring lion. A roaring lion. Now, the words aren't used frivolously in the Word of God. He's a roaring lion. Why? Because he loves to make accusation against the brethren. If he, he's called as such over in Revelation chapter 12. We'll try to read over there just a little bit, and then we'll try to make a few comments and uh, get out of Brother Neal's way. But over in Revelation chapter 12, uh, we read this, and <clears throat> there was verse 7, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Now, is he talking about eternal heaven with the presence of the Lord? Or is he talking about some kind of middle strata? Or is he talking about down here on the earth? I've got my own notions and ideas about that. But Kendra, let me tell you something. Uh, that's something we can agree to disagree on. Amen? I mean, that's something we can agree to disagree on. We just need to agree that Satan was at an exalted position and he lost that position. He was cast down in judgment, okay? And... It says here, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What's the setting there? The crucifixion. Amen. The crucifixion. Friends, he has thrown that deceiver away. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't torment us. Oh, he's bound with a chain. I believe that. But he still has enough liberty to cause us angst and anxiety. But I want you to understand, my friends, he will accuse the brethren. And there's no better... Now, you, you lawyers, forgive me, but there's no better attorney than the devil himself. Because he knows the law and he can wield it as a weapon. And that's what men make the mistake of. They want to wield the law as a weapon rather than seeing their own fallenness in relation to it and humbling themselves before the cross of Christ. Okay, So here we've seen some, some very ravaging, evil, and uh, wicked voices that will rise up against you. But, oh, I tell you, let's get to some good news now. How about that? Uh, go with me over to Psalm 69. Over in Psalm 69, verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. Here's that, that noise, that roaring. It's just pouring in on you. We went down to Bear Creek to go 
canoeing not too long ago and there was a, a big old hole there that was a waterfall and I mean if you got stuck in that hole it was just roiling and if you'd gotten stuck in there you'd have been down in there until they closed off the dam I'm telling you and that's what they said people have gone down in that water and haven't come back up until they shut the dam off upstream and they were able to get the water level low enough that they were actually able to get in there and move it. Can you imagine how fearful and frightening that must be to be caught down in there knowing you're going to drown, hearing the noise, feeling the tumult. He said, save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I'm coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for God. Now you may say, and Brother Joe, what is the good news here? Because this sounds like something that, that just doesn't in, you know, provoke in me the thought of good and righteousness. You've got to understand Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm. Amen. This is a psalm that records, oh yes, more immediately, some of the thoughts and notions that were stirred by the Holy Spirit in the writer, David, but my friends, this points to the fulfillment of the work of the greater David, Jesus Christ. And you see that alluded to many times in Psalm 69. So here, not only are you looking and saying this is something that's, that's been cried out by David. This is something that went through the heart and mind of David. Maybe he didn't even really realize why he was writing it. He was just moved of the Holy Ghost to do it. Friends, you ultimately look at Psalm 69, you're looking, uh, you just imagine this is your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ speaking this. Now somebody may say, how can that be? How the waters come in unto his soul? How is it he sunk in deep mire? He was a man who never sinned. He never did anything wrong. I'm coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. How could he be overwhelmed? Because he's God. How could that be? I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. How could this be? Because he stood in your place. All of those roaring voices against you, in your own conscience, against others, and by Satan himself, the condemnation of sin against you, he absorbed, my friends, and he paid for you. He did this. He condescended into our place. Such The Lord God Almighty did this for us. He said, they that hate me, they that hate me without a cause. Let me tell you, there are people that hate me, and they probably got good cause to hate me. But this man, no one should have ever hated him. He said, they that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. Uh, they, they that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully or mighty. Notice this. Then I restored that which I took not away. Ain't God good? I restored that which I took not away. Do you know why you fell in Adam? Because of Adam. You fell in Adam because of Adam. From your sinlessness. The wellspring had been polluted. You fell in Adam. God was under no obligation other than the obligation He brought unto Himself to enter into covenant to save you. And you know what? He absorbed all of that roaring voices. He did all of that for us. Why? So He could restore that which He didn't even take away. I'm going to tell you, God is good. So real quickly in the last couple minutes here, I want to look at how, how can we be relieved from these roaring voices. How can we feel the power that which Jesus Christ has taken upon Himself on the cross that He absorbed for us, decimated it by His glory, 
and satisfied it before God the Father, how is it that, that we can feel the power of it? Well, let's, let's look at a couple of places. Again, in the psalm, go with me to Psalm 29. Over in Psalm 29, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to read this for time's sake, but I'll give you a little homework. I want you to read about the true power of a voice. You read Psalm 29. You talk about the power of the voice of the Lord. I want you to go home and I want you to read it. And I want you to just understand, it's not just talking about sound waves. It's talking about eternal power of the Godhead in this voice, okay? But let's look at something a little more personal just to us individually. Go to Psalm 32. You know, in Psalm 32, that is one of the Old Testament scriptures that's been alluded to in Romans chapter 4 uh, when he was, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, was teaching about being justified by faith. So I should be able to gather that a good bit of Psalm 32 is about being justified by faith. So we, we go to Psalm 32 and notice verse 5. Here this is a man under conviction. And notice what he did. He said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. Kendra, let me tell you in the Proverbs, it said, He that covereth his sin uh, shall not prosper. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso uh, forsaketh them and confesseth them shall have mercy. There is great relief unto you, my friends, in just trusting and confessing in the Lord that He is certainly the only one that's able to relieve those roars against you. Ease your conscience, my friends. Apply that balm that the Scripture and the Gospel has given us and just trusting that Jesus Christ is good enough to take away our sins. We tried to preach a little bit from Romans chapter 10 this morning. You know, what faith doesn't tell you, uh, the, faith, the righteousness of faith won't tell you, well, let us ascend up into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. What does that mean? It means that there are a lot of people that think, well, you know, I know the Bible says the Lord has ascended up and he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. But apparently he still hasn't gotten everything done yet. I've got to help him a little bit. I mean, I've got to help the Lord along. Why do you think he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high? He's seated there because he's victorious. He's seated there because he's done. You don't need to help him. True faith will not tell you that there's anything you can do to help the Lord. It would be almost like you climbing up some tower of Babel and saying, move over, Jesus, and let me share the throne with you. Faith won't tell you that. True faith won't tell you that. And it also said, you know, you're not going to descend down in the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. You know, uh, there are some people that think, well, yes, Jesus died for sinners. He died to take away our sins. But I still got to, I've got to die to the flesh to make it real. <laughs> I've got to do some dying myself. You know, there's a large order of people out there that believe in something called purgatory. Y'all ever heard of that? It means, oh yes, we know Jesus suffered. We know he died. And it says he died for sins. Oh yes, I believe that. But there's still some sins for me to burn off. I got to go to a place called purgatory and roast in the oven for a little while before I can finally make it to heaven. That is a blasphemy against the name of God. And I, that sounds coarse when I say that. If it is, then the truth sounded coarse. That is not so. My friends... 2 Corinthians 5, 14, I think it is, said, For the love of Christ constraineth us, for we thus judge that if one died, then we're all dead in that one. That if Jesus Christ died for his people, 
then he died all that needed to die. For the good of his people. You don't have to say, dare say, well, let me help him die. Let me die a little bit too. No, my friends, you just live. Amen? Uh, you live, and in that living, you'll want to die to the flesh. But you need to understand you're living because he did all the dying that was necessary for the redemption of his people. Go with me to Psalm 42. Over in Psalm 42, notice what it says here. In uh, verse... <coughs> He said, uh, verse 6, we read earlier, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. He said, Deep calleth unto deep the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. We talked about that. But now notice the next verse, verse 8. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. Notice verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Do you know how to drown out those roaring voices? You just be found doing what you ought to be doing. You're not going to be listening to the voices of others when you are straining so hard to hear the voice of your Savior. When you're wanting to get His guidance, you're wanting to hear word from His pulpit, you're wanting to be spoken to from His Holy Bible, then my friends, when you spend enough time praying and praising to your Lord, that'll give you some relief from those roaring voices. Psalm 46. Again, I haven't forgot the time. I'm fixing to get out of the way. Psalm 46 talks about a city. <clears throat> talks about a river. Over in Psalm 46... It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will, we, <coughs> will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. Can you imagine the noise that will be? Though the waters thereof roar <coughs> and be troubled. <coughs> Excuse me. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah, it sounds like a loud noise to me, doesn't it? But now he gives you this. He says, the answer is, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. What is typified as water so often in the word of God? The spirit of God. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Who, who are the tabernacles of the Most High? In the Old Testament there was only one tabernacle. And then there was only one temple. Well, who are the tabernacles plural of the Most High? It's you and me, friends. We are the tabernacles of the Most High. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, here God is going to dwell in the midst of this people, my friends. The holy place, singular, of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raised, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. You want to know one of the greatest ways to not hear the roars of all the conviction and all the accusation and all the naysayers out there is doing exactly what you're doing here tonight. Y'all think y'all are learning more and more joyful here than they were in the temple of old, gilded in gold, even when the smoke came down. My friends, do you think that was more powerful than what we enjoy here tonight? 
when someone's able to stand up and tell you about the finished work of the Lamb of God which took away the sin of the world, I'm going to tell you what, my friends, that ain't got nothing on this. This is happy. This is the city of God. Oh, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Jerusalem. Don't you ever forget that. And I fail to tell you, when you're in the midst, I'll tell you, you will just hear, oh, he leadeth us beside those still waters. Amen. And I'm so very thankful that he does that. And I'm going to tell you over in Revelation chapter 12, it talked about the accuser of the brethren was cast down. And it said that he was defeated. What? How was it they overcame him? They overcame him through the blood of the Lamb. Thanks be unto God. For the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives unto the death. You want to know another way you can get relief? Just commit. You think you can, it amazes me. People says, oh, I'm a primitive Baptist. I'll be a primitive Baptist till I die. And ain't nothing going to change that. Oh, where's your membership? Oh, I never have been baptized. I'm going to be kind. If you ain't been baptized, you ain't no primitive Baptist. It's in the name. <laughs> like somebody asked Ben Shapiro, why is it the girls can't be in the Boy Scouts? He said, because it's called Boy Scouts. <laughs> We're called primitive Baptists, which means you need to be baptized into the church to be a member in full. Stop feeding through the cracks like the little hens reaching for the corn. Get up in there and enjoy the fullness that the Lord has afforded for his people. Commit. <laughs> Love not your lives unto the death. Let me tell you something. If you're too afraid to take a bath, what are you going to do against a fire? Get in the water. It's fine. Get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in the names of the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Because I tell you, if you're afraid to get wet, fires are coming one day, kindred. But we've got the blood of the Lamb. We've got the word of His testimony. And I'm here to tell you by the authority of God's word, you love not your life unto the death and you won't have to worry about your conscience, the words of others, or the, the devil himself and all of his minions can't do anything to defeat or destroy you. Amen. Don't listen to them. Listen to Him. Thank y'all. God bless you. Appreciate you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.